Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 172 of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. And today is a counterintuitive episode of Fed Heads, Robert. We're cutting against the grain on what we're doing here. Okay, explain that to me. All right. Uh, the topic of the program today is diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you've raised that issue and asked guests questions about that issue on many occasions on this program, as have I. Today, it's the full focus of the podcast. The reason that it's counterintuitive is the program today includes three white men who are over 50 years old, and we're going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Doesn't that sound like a recipe for success? I see what you mean. We may struggle through this, and I invite our listeners to come on another program to correct anything we got wrong. But I do think it emphasizes how important this is. The administration has four big priorities, COVID response, economic recovery, climate. The fourth is diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're taking a whole-of-government approach, and I've told folks I've talked to that this touches everything they do. And they say, yeah, but not this, that, or the other thing. I'm like, no, 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 you didn't hear me. It touches everything you do. Making sure that our, our, our organizations are diverse, that the way we distribute government benefits, operate government programs, has to be looked at through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we, there is one element of diversity that I can think of off the top of my head among the three of us who are on this program, you and I and the guest who I'll introduce in, the moment, in a moment, and that is that one of us has a long track record as a successful, accomplished, elected official, and then there's you and me. Right. Our guest today is Governor Martin O'Malley, a former governor of the state of Maryland, Proud to be a former constituent of yours, Governor, also former mayor oh, of you. the great city of Baltimore. It's great to talk to you again, Governor. Welcome back. Why is it okay that three 50-plus white guys are sitting here talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, Governor? Welcome. Well, because I think it's you know not only the heart of the problem, it's also the heart of the solution. If white men talk uh, one way privately about diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, and then another way publicly or for lip service, then there's no wonder there's a, a lack of progress. So uh, stated more positively, I think when, uh, when the uh, white men of America uh, come to appreciate in greater numbers and understand that diversity and equity and inclusion is the best way to tap the creativity and... Um, uh, and the energy of an entire organization and workforce for the good of the mission, then we start making some progress. I mean, I was lucky in this, Francis, in that in 1999, I was elected uh, mayor of Baltimore. Baltimore then was a majority African-American city and still is. I then was white and still am. The Washington Post greeted my election with the headline, White Man Wins Mayor of Baltimore. And it, uh, in the days before President Obama's election, uh, there were many people that wondered, how is this going to work? This is all headed for a train wreck fast. Um, so the, the, the pressure that was on me as uh, one of the first, you know, 
uh, non-black mayors of a black city to demonstrate, to show uh, every single day that we were acting in ways that were mindful of historic injustices and that we were creating a, uh, uh, a government that could not only deliver results, but could do so in a way that was reflective of the great diversity of our city, uh, that pressure was pretty intense. And the good news for me was uh, that technologies had come along that made it a lot easier to show and demonstrate and prove uh, uh, where we were making progress, where we were falling short. And you know what, gentlemen? Uh, we showed all of it. The places where we were succeeding, the places where we failed, and the places where where big gaps remained, uh, and when and we weren't when we were not closing those gaps, uh, we had the courage to to acknowledge that they needed to be closed, and that we needed to pivot, and that we needed to try different things in order to achieve uh, uh, the goals we had for all of the children of our city, which was safer, healthier, better place to uh, go to school and find a job. One of the things that's been observed, especially during the pandemic and the resulting economic crisis, is we still have a terrible time reaching underserved communities. They're more adversely impacted by COVID. They have a hard time accessing, harder time accessing vaccines, treatments, government benefits. What's the opportunity that this is presented here and is the administration taking adequate advantage of it? Yeah, and then there's also a whole issue of trust. I mean, you can, uh, we are suffering right now as a nation from a greatly diminished uh, sense of trust of, uh, of, our, of our national government, of our national leaders. Uh, I, th I think the, the happy uh, other side of that coin is that in local governments, leaders still do have some degree of trust. And I think that's where we need to fine tune this, especially in underserved, uh, traditionally marginalized communities, urban settings, uh, uh, communities of color. When I think about those places in my own city of Baltimore, where my wife and my kids and I live, I am also very mindful of the fact that there are very few institutions within uh, uh, those communities that the rest of us in, in wealthier places take for granted. Uh, we're talking about the church. In most cases, we're talking about maybe the neighborhood church, and we're talking about the fire hall. Uh, so we have to use the institutions that do exist in those hard-to-reach uh, populations and, and communities of, of color. And leadership's essential. Leadership is so important. And when I say leadership, I'm not talking just about the mayor, and our mayor's been pretty good with his messaging. I'm talking about local leaders who have trust. I'm talking about leadership in the sort of, Jeffersonian small republic sense of that word, uh, people with credibility in the community. Uh, and, and that's the, uh, I, I think that um, some cities are probably doing a better job of others and they all need to learn from one another. Uh, it is a, a big opportunity and um, mayors need to be empowered to reach uh, communities that traditionally are, are not reached. If you would have asked me, Governor, to make a list of community institutions of high trust levels, I like to think I would have gotten churches. I wouldn't have gotten fire halls in a million years. What is it about yeah, yeah. that that creates that level of trust? Is it just the function that they perform, or is there some other thing at play there that causes that to be one of the big two that you named? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, everybody loves their firefighters. Uh, when you're in trouble, when you call 911, 
fire truck or the ambulance come. So people do love their firefighters. The second thing is that while some functions of government uh, can be centralized, fire response and ambulance response cannot. So they are present. They are in neighborhoods. It is sometimes a, a source of, uh, a, of great aggravation to mayors, especially when they are engaged in collective bargaining with firefighter unions, <laughs> that firefighters are so well loved by uh, people of, of every income level and every race and every gender. But it is true. What we found in Baltimore uh, when we were uh, seeking to, uh, you know, uh, eradicate lead poisoning of kids, which we assumed would just happen in poorer neighborhoods. It didn't have to just happen, but it did require a lot of proactive knocking on doors and uh, and follow through. We found people were very reluctant to open their doors to anybody from City Hall, a man, woman, black or white, uh, that knocked on their door, even for the health of their children. Uh, but they were ready to open their doors and would open their doors for firefighters. So firefighters do have credibility. Uh, they play a critical emergency response and health role. and. Uh, uh, I think mayors would be well advised today to put the firefighters, paramedics, black and white men and women front and center in reaching out and uh, vaccinating more of our people. You've also done a lot to advance the mechanics of improving government. The procedures you deployed in Baltimore and Maryland are now working across the country. Do they have promise as tools that communities can use to overcome their diversity, equity, and inclusion challenges? Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity of our times, Robert. Uh, two technologies have come together in the wink of an eye uh, in terms of the development of our democracy, our, our republic. And those two, those two technologies are the internet, the, the, compu- the computational uh, you know, mechanics behind it, and also geographic information systems, the ability to to show on a map real time what's happening when and where, and to be able to figure out why and what we can do about it. What does that mean for diversity, equity, and inclusion? It means that um, these tools can also be used to show us as an organization, well, not only where the gaps, where the problems are, whether that's in government contracting, falling short of goals, whether that's in hiring, falling short of goals, whether that's in uh, promotion or retention, falling short of goals. And we can start to actually run plays on a field that everyone can see and measure so that we can figure out what actually works, say, to improve the diversity of a police force. Uh, What are the techniques that actually work Uh, to recruit uh, greater numbers of qualified bids so that when contracts are awarded, uh, uh, the the people receiving those contracts are are much more reflective of the local economy and community uh, that the taxpayers are, um, you know, uh, are from. Uh, uh, So what we, we set for ourselves as a city after it was struck down by a court, Um, We set for ourselves uh, a higher minority and women participation goal than had ever been set for the city of Baltimore. And more importantly, uh, and not immediately, uh, but over the course of the next few years, we actually 
hit that goal. We achieved the goal. That had never been done even when the bar was lower. Were there things we had to do differently? You bet. There were a lot of things we had to do differently. But when Maynard Jackson of Atlanta, who was a real champion on the importance of using the buying power of government for greater diversity, equity, and inclusion, and economic empowerment, when he came to Baltimore and saw that we were actually measuring real time every week in ways that everyone could see uh, how each department was doing on a year-to-date basis, Uh, on minority and women uh, business inclusion and their procurement practices, uh, he was blown away. And he said, you need to get every mayor and every county executive to see this. Because once you start measuring it, and once everybody can see it, and it's not some sort of secret that's only revealed once annually in the budget, then it becomes incorporated into the culture. You know, there's an old expression that uh, culture eats policy for lunch or something to that tune. Uh, you have to incorporate diversity, equity, and inclusion into the, not the annual budget, but I mean, yeah, it, it needs to be there too. But you need to integrate it into the daily workflow, uh, the culture of the place. It needs to become something that we do every day to make all of us and the people we serve better. Not some box we check once a year if a bad story happens or an auditor comes in. And that's why these technologies, if you have the leadership that's courageous enough to show the truth of where we stand right now, uh, you would be amazed at the energy that you tap to actually move the ball forward on diversity, equity, and inclusion. But if you don't talk about it, if you don't have the guts to show where you're falling short, you'll never make any sustainable or real progress to improving things. You know, there's a powerful truth that nature achieves well-being and abundance through greater diversity. Ideologues tend to believe the opposite. Uh, Big organizations left to their own devices will hire, recruit, and promote people to look very much like the people that were, you know, hired, promoted, and recruited, you know, 30 years ago. So you have to make an intentional effort. Uh, But if you create a compelling scoreboard around those key metrics and the actions necessary to change them, you will tap a font of creativity and, uh, and, and, and good actions from everyone within your organization, whether it's the black firefighter uh, going out of his way to recruit more of his nieces and nephews to the service, you know, at the family reunion, or whether it's uh, a white commander who goes out of his way, takes that extra effort to say, you know what, you should really take the lieutenant's test. Um, that's the sort of energy that happens when the leader has the guts to measure performance openly and transparently. And there's no reason not to. No reason not to. We say this as three white men on this podcast. I think white men are so afraid of being shown to be falling short that they're afraid to ever set the benchmark. And um, the truth is people already know we're falling short. You know, Anybody can, can see for themselves and from their own experience, and certainly as a nation, we've had a lot of reckoning conversations about how short we have fallen. So set the benchmark, 
set the goal. Uh, start to start making progress, and you'll be amazed at how people rally to it and incorporate it into their daily work. Governor, you uh, talked about the broader topic of hitting goals as the ones that you described when you were on this podcast, episodes 90 through 92, when you came on to talk about uh, your book that was new at that time, Smarter Government, uh, where you described the way that you uh, laid all of these programs out, both as mayor of Baltimore and Governor Maryland. And I encourage folks who want to know more about how you structured those goals and how you built the dashboards and all of that to get the book and, and listen to those podcast episodes. We're almost out of time on this episode, Governor. Is the transparency that you outlined, the ability to at any time point to what the results were, good or not, the most important issue to regaining the trust that we talked about earlier in our conversation? It's Well, it's certainly the threshold. It's the opening ante in this new game of trust. Uh, leaders need to be able to show real time and not, you know, uh, not not because it was dragged out of them or somebody filed a Freedom of Information Act request, but leaders need to show, be able to show real time where their organization stands. I'll give you just three, uh, okay? Uh, where you stand on a year-to-date basis on procurement contracts, how does that compare to the past? Um, where do you stand with regard to the diversity of your workforce? Uh, uh, and and how does that stand up uh, to where it has been in the past? Uh, and third, retaining, recruiting, promoting well, within that workforce. I know those are three things within the third category, but those are kind of the basics. If in the public service, and I'm talking mostly public service here, but I think a lot of these things are applicable to private sector as well. We all know that the game is played differently when you're keeping score and when the crowd can see, you know, the hash marks on the field, right, to know whether you're advancing the ball or not. This is uh, very much like that. Keep a, count, uh, a compelling scoreboard that everyone can see. Make sure it's real time and uh, create a, a, a playing field, a winnable game where everybody can agree what it means to be moving the ball forward. Governor, thanks very much for joining us. You gave us a lot to think about and a lot to seed future conversations about this topic. We're grateful for you joining us today. Hey, thank you guys. Thanks for listening to the Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.